What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. John walks to the stage. Sorry about that. You're good. Getting ready to boot up. Let me get my cans on. I'm all confused. <laughs> Bolt-ons right there. What's going on, brother? How you doing, man? I'm hanging in there. Is it good? Good morning so far? Yeah, great morning. We had you on my show. Now I'm on yours. I'm excited. Yeah. Let's get into it. Yeah. So today, John Bartolo, you have mm-hmm. me come down here. We uh, met through Scott Volkortsen. Scott is an absolutely amazing human being. Scott's great. Yeah. And we didn't meet entirely through Scott. Let's throw some shade at, uh, at Bernsey, the Ram Hustle. He definitely was an instrumental part. If it wasn't for his blessing, this may have not happened. <laughs> Shout have, out to the Ram Hustle. I have a few instances in my life that were pivotal moments that were based off of his blessing. Isn't he quite an amazing creature? Uh, he definitely is. Um, I'm very fortunate. He has been a very good friend to me in the, I think, four years that I've known him. He's and, quite the social media vixen. Go follow the Ram Hustle. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Look at all the posts that he makes. Yeah, zero. Zero. I mean, that's kind of, that's, I don't want to say that's ballsy, but like, that's a, that's a bold move in today's society. And not only does he post nothing ever, but he's got thousands of followers. I know. For nothing. They just, people just follow it for the. You know, he's flirted with me a couple times and saying like, I really should take the social media thing seriously. And I'm like, yeah, I think maybe you should do a little bit more than what you do. You know? <laughs> I mean, I think maybe a touch, a post a month is cool. Like yeah. something like that. But he's very, uh, he keeps to himself. And I really appreciate in, 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 you know, both of these guys, Scott and Bernsey, their friendship and, and their guidance. I think my relationship with Scott's a little more public. My, my relationship with, with Brendan Burns of Kuyu has been uh, a little on the, the quiet, but he's such a great person. And he said, you know, and I, I value his advice and his confidence all the time. I mean, just being able to confide in someone like him that's been able to do the things that he's done in the outdoor community is, is, is a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and you can take a look at uh, Kuyu coming out, right? And Kuyu have always been, has always been a disruptor. Yeah. And a remarkable company in raising the bar, mm. setting the bar extremely high constantly and creating a lot of discourse in the industry as far as brand apparel and and hunting ultralight gear for the outdoors. And you you take that and then you go to the next level that Burns has taken it to mm. with Conservation Direct and everything that he's approached, how he's approached it and how he's getting it done. Honestly, and, he adds so much legitimacy to the brand. Yeah. And really does. Yeah, and and it really does a lot. It's quite remarkable. I think uh I think the work he's doing is is amazing and if anyone hasn't checked him out, I mean, what a great guy in the industry and and, and a really good friend. Yeah. Appreciate Absolutely. him. Right? I appreciate Scott too. And, yeah. and don't want to discount that. Scott Volkortsen is one of the salt of the earth people. And if you haven't checked out even your podcast with him, uh, he's one of the good guys of the industry and he really gets it. And I know a lot of people are saying, but it's rim fire, you know, but he's really introducing people to a great industry through a really cool product. Well, and he actually brought up a lot for me because when I first, I never have done competitive shooting. I've never been on it. 
to that level or extent. Um, but I did a lot of 1911, you know, I was a big Nighthawk Wilson combat guy. And, uh, I would always get a change out slide, a 22 slide for my 1911. I dumped 250 rounds with my 22 and then, you know, do 10 mags with a 45. And it's remarkable what he's been able to do with that brand from the beginning and, and, you know, understanding really what his dad built that company to and what it's grown to under his stewardship and in the, the people he's brought in and he's just really built it and elevated it incrementally in the right way. And he's a good example, uh, as he continues to innovate and launch more products. And I know that he will, it's going to continue to be a fun company to watch in the coming years. Yeah. Well, and I would imagine for you coming from the firearms industry, you have such a better understanding of everything that's gone on through the growth of that brand. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people, you know, when you come into this business, a lot of people don't realize Andy, the, you know, uh, I had the luxury of being a very young CEO and being thrust into the, the forefront of the industry after being a marketing director, comms director, holding various titles throughout the industry for a number of years. I had the opportunity similar to Bernsey to be in a unique position at a young age and, and be able to build a network and, and meet a lot of great folks and see how a lot of companies function. And it's a very interesting uh, industry. You have a lot of brands that kind of came out of that machine shop era and grew out of that machine shop era and kind of have grown up, so to speak, to be true, tried and true traditional firearms manufacturers, which is exciting to watch. I mean, we all know the big boys, the FNs, the SIGs, the, the Smith & Wessons, all the different brands. There's some of these brands that are really exciting to watch that are really getting it right organically and that still have family ownership that have come out of that that machine shop era. So it's exciting to watch. And I think the firearms industry is a really unique place for that. You don't see that a lot where you can walk in and you can talk right to the guy that maybe built the walls in that room, yeah. literally. Yeah. You know, and that in many ways is Scott and his family and, and so many brands that I've become familiar with. And it's a shame that they're located in such remote, some of them in so, so remote places that people don't really get to fully understand the experience of being able to walk that floor and see American manufacturing at yeah. its best. Well, and speaking of the experience, I mean, my experience with Volkortsen, uh, when they had me out, whatever it was, two weeks ago, mm. he, uh, Scott has just finished building the most amazing lounge experience room. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Just, it's something I've, I've pushed on him and I know Chad has there in the team yeah. have been in his ear for a long time. And, and one of the great things about Scott is he didn't fight on it. You know, he knew it was the right way to go. And I think the industry is evolving. And if you get into a greater conversation, I think the industry is really changing and going into a place where experiential marketing and being able to create an experience for the folks coming through that door is really critical. And I think whether you're Volkortsen located in Carroll, Iowa, or you're, uh, uh, you know, the flip-flop guy or, or, or anybody, it's about what, what value do you add beyond here's the gun or here's the meat or here's the this. So I think that's going to continue to be the trend in all these industries. And I think people better adapt quick or they're going to be in a lot of trouble. Yeah. The experience is an extremely important part of all of it. Cause what I've seen a lot in my limited experience with brands is companies that aren't adapted to increasing and enhancing that experience they have a very difficult time growing past a certain extent and i think a lot of it is is because the experience they're providing on the beginning it might be great 
down the road, it starts turning more into a negative experience. Well, I think I think a lot of brands start. I think everybody starts out with the best intentions, right, Andy? And I think a lot of brands start out. Uh, I just want to get a sale, okay? And a customer buys once. A client buys all the time. Mm-hmm. That's a client. This is one of my clients. You know, I'm going to take care of him. And I think a lot of brands are starting to see that you have to break out of a customer centric model. And a customer centric model is one that's like. You know, a customer to you is somebody that goes on and buys one leg, okay? They go on, they buy one leg, they do it themselves. That's a customer. You start noticing two or three buys, they become a client. You maybe want to reach out to them. You see where I'm going with this? It starts to develop a relationship because that person is not only putting food on your table, but they're liking what you do. And if they're liking what you do, I think you have a responsibility to deliver a high quality experience to those folks. And I think you have to understand an experience can be a number of things. It can start with customer service. It can start with how you respond to a negative uh, uh, comment. It can be how you handle yourself in a return situation or something like that. People, it doesn't always have to be a centralized location, though that's good, having a hub, a warehouse of this or that. I wanted to create a warehouse experience with my podcast. That was one of the things that I was drawn to was something that was fun, that was open, that was energetic, that people could enjoy. That was what I wanted, but not everybody wants that. Some people create their experience through their, through the sale. And that's important too, whether it's, we're seeing it now, whether it's like, uh, you know, some of these programs that are, uh, loyalty programs, whether it's like SIG offers the Legion program, and now they're starting to kick off their FCU campaign. Things like that are things that will create and indoctrinate people into a process. And that's what people enjoyed. Geez, I really liked that. I always liked uh, in the hunting industry, gun works, you know, what they were able to do and their experience in buying a rifle. You're buying a $6,000 rifle. It better be a hell of an experience, right? There better be some midgets that jump out of a cake (laughs) at the end of it. So I think all of the industry needs to understand and take a page from that and start to build out what that looks like to them. Well, and on top of that, what you're building with, with your client, as you said, is a relationship and a rapport. And within that rapport, they're going to want to come back. And if it's a positive experience, they're going to come back. And not only are Absolutely. they going to come back, they're going to bring their friends back and they're going to bring everybody in their circle back. Yeah, and that's a difficult that's a difficult thing to master. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a lot of brands are just concerned with the sale. How do we get sales up? How do I create a sale? And they always want to use the S word. And then they always want to follow that up with ROI, ROI. And the problem is when you try to create these tangible definitions around things, like, is there a tangible definition to the ROI that you create by doing a flip-flop? No. There's really not, right? And if you talk to any financial advisor or anybody in wealth management, they'll tell you, is there a tangible experience to having uh, uh, 20, 30 million? Is there a way to explain how you made somebody millions of dollars? Is that, is that something that, that you, can, you can put into words that you you maybe did something great for a client. It's hard to, right? It's very hard to because they mean so much more and the relationship starts to mean so much more. There are sticky products in this universe that we buy that we don't pay a lot of attention to, but we don't realize we're indoctrinated into an experience. Your mortgage is like that. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, oh, we gotta go down the bank, we gotta get a mortgage or I have my mortgage guy, right? You hear people use that language. And that's where you start to see That person must really enjoy that experience with that person, whatever it is. Why do people say all the time, so much business is done over golf? Why? It's an experience. It's way better than being in an office. 
Right. So I think I think brands and people in general, as we head into 2022 and forward, especially post COVID, need to look at their websites, need to look at a lot of their their platforms and understand what am I doing here that maybe I could enhance this person when they come to my page and grace me with their time. I mean, you have people like Jeff Bezos that are paying people for clicks. They're paying for the clicks. That's it. So you have to create an experience that people are going to come and want to enjoy it. Maybe in your website, it's adding articles. Maybe it's adding writing. Maybe it's commenting on the outdoor industry. Maybe it's a podcast. Maybe it's a number of things. But I think all those things play into it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. It's a lot. It, it is a lot. And it's, it's a lot to unpack. And I think brands don't pay enough attention to what, what am I trying to accomplish here? Okay. If you want to be a retailer even, and you just want to retail goods, is Amazon just a retailer? No, it's a shipping company. When you go on the, the page, I mean, this is unheard of 10 years ago. You go on the page, you can watch a video of the product. You can read hundreds of reviews of the product. You can purchase the product, know exactly when it's going to show up to your door, get a notification. That's all part of the experience. That's still very foreign to a lot of people in the outdoors industry and very difficult to master Yeah, because it's still an industry that wants to go down to Cabela's and you know, by its fucking red hook, whatever the fuck right it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's redhead uh, sweater vest or whatever it is. And, and they want to call it good and, and say, I'm participating in the outdoors industry. Yeah. So clearly you have a ton of knowledge. Something in, like that. In, in this whole realm of marketing. And I would say even with your perception today, advanced marketing and what's to come as far as marketing is concerned. How did you get to where you are so let's let's dial it back because i know i know that you know you have a law enforcement a little bit background so i'll get it yeah i'll tell you the whole story yeah. so so i've told it a few times but but for your audience I'll, I'll do my best to condense this remember i'm condensing about to give everybody a picture listening i'm condensing <laughs> about 15 or 20 years in here so probably since 2004 so um I, I grew up in Boston and uh, and grew up in the city. People always say, where in the city? Uh, there's something about that time in that area. You know, myself, I know Joe Rogan was coming up in Boston at that time. And I know uh, Dana White and, and, and Jay Cutler, the bodybuilder. Several of us that kind of migrated out this way over time grew up in that area. Bill Burr, I believe, went to Newton South. There were so many guys coming out of that area just became the timing and the melting pot of the area that created some great dudes, some awesome dudes that came out of that area and did some great stuff. I, I, I led a middle-class life for the most part, uh, got my introduction to shooting and hunting. Uh, mainly as a youngster, I went to, uh, to a camp where they had, they had firearms and we shot and I was a boy scout growing up, did all that, you know, that young guy stuff that, that guys do around the outdoors and traditional stuff. Yeah. And uh, I went to college and started shooting a lot then because my roommates had guns and we had the opportunity to kind of get outside. I went, I was in Amherst. I was actually in Amherst at the same time as Buck Sexton, the, the, the radio host. So we, we share that. We were there at the exact same time. So I had the opportunity to, to participate in the shooting industry a little bit then. When I graduated college, it was, it was interesting. I, I, I had played some sports and I, I graduated college and I had this opportunity to go to the police academy. I was like, you know what, I'll go to the academy because I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I also started working in finance. So I started working in banking and I went to Boston University to do my CFP at the time too after. And I said, I graduated the academy and I'm kind of encapsulating two or three years there. 
but I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was kind of like, I want to do this. I'm coaching football. You know, I'm doing all the young guy stuff. You yeah. got to remember, I'm- You're embedded in that. Yeah, I'm, I'm 22, 23 years old at this time. And I'm like, what am I going to do? So I have some success in finance and I'm doing well with that. I'm trying to figure out the cop thing because I'm trying to be a reserve police officer and figure out what that looks like. What brought you to law enforcement? So my mother actually was like one of those people that always burned into my head that you had to have, a, have, to have a state job, right? Like you got to have something stable. That was kind Government, of the family you know. I grew, grew up in, right? Yeah. Like it was like, and you know, they advertise for you to go to a police academy. So I was like, you know what? Oddly enough, when I went, the funny thing is, and, and, and if Joe Levesque is listening to this, he would laugh. Uh, he was my partner in the academy. Oddly enough, uh, you know, we, I, we went and I went with a lot of the guys that I were my contemporaries. They had gone into the military for three or four years and now we're out. And I was just out of college. So we all, you know, what year did you graduate Salem High or this high or that high? You know, we were all in that same group. So it was a lot of fun. And, and, you know, it's in Massachusetts, if you know anything about Massachusetts, it's a total bureaucracy. Nothing is easy. Like the, the, the school was something like 800 hours. I mean, it was like a full time, you know, four days a week type of academy. So that was a lot of fun. I got the opportunity when I went on to Montana to, to be at the, the Flathead uh, Sheriff's Department Reserve team, that, that, that team that they have under, um, Travis Bruyer. And it was, it was a lot of fun. So, you know, I got the opportunity to get a glimpse of that life along the way. And again, there's several tracks here. It's kind of like the multiverse of madness that I'm explaining, <laughs> but along the way, uh, Matt Wolf, uh, at Enforced weapon lights and breakthrough clean, Eric Navarro had approached me and we had done some stuff together. I kind of enjoyed the business. I enjoyed shooting like anybody else. I was drawn to the sport, but I was doing it on the side. I was working a day job and I was like, all right, you know, I'll do some marketing. Now you got to remember this time period, guys, this is the key. It was like, oh, three, oh, four, oh, five. Facebook and social media was just becoming a thing. MySpace. Yeah, literally. Yeah. So as it was all becoming a thing, I had these unique opportunities kind of bestowed on me to kind of participate with these brands. And we were figuring it out as we went. Now, along the way, a lot of people don't know this, and I haven't talked about it that openly, but I had the opportunity to, to work with Paul Moradi in the early days. I had the opportunity to work with Ghost Gunner early on. I had the opportunity to work with Breakthrough Clean, Enforce, as I said. Through the years, there were so many great brands that I had this opportunity to participate in because social media was so very new, and everybody was trying to figure it out. So I'm running around with all these brands figuring it out as they figure it out, learning on the fly, and along the way, they're like, well you know, marketing was still kind of a new thing. A lot of the brands had old ad buyers in charge. So I was, you know, luckily I was friends with a lot of great brands, uh, Steve Troy, Troy, you know, all these different companies. A lot of the guys at, uh, at Taurus I was friends with. And I would just kind of start to see where the tea leaves were sending me, like what was the industry was telling me. And I knew that social media was going to come in huge. So magazines were dying out, as we all know, and, you know, they were kind of starting to reach that dead point. I had this opportunity to go and participate with all these different brands and learn. And I always say it, I got the best on the job training. And I think I held the title of marketing director for maybe four or five brands at, at one different point. Uh, was that I, all specifically for social media marketing? Social media, uh, some ad buy, ad placement stuff, but I started to build a business around it. You know, to everybody out there that says, you know what you're doing, I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. I was making it up as I went and I was learning though. I did get the opportunity in banking to, to redo the district, the marketing, because we got sold and there was some changeover and all that. So I had the opportunity to participate in some of that. So I got some great classical training in doing it and learned it 
from a banking perspective and I understood how to read a balance sheet. So all those things played in. When I got the opportunity to participate at a higher level of company, C-level and so on and so forth, it taught me a lot about how a machine shop works, how run times work, how operations in a building work. And, and these are all things that I'm very passionate about. And one of the, the things I think that's lost in translation because nobody understands at a national level how to talk about the gun industry and they get it all wrong. Everybody gets it all wrong because they don't understand who the end users are and who's really affected. How many FFL owners do you see ever interviewed on Fox News? None. Almost none. How many uh, actual people that work in the gun industry cash a check in the firearms business? Do you actually see speak on any of these national? None. Yeah. There's no under in industry like that. If I wore Michael Jordan sneakers, should I be telling Michael how to go baseline? No. No. So the industry is very confused. They feel like if it's a gun industry topic, we'll go get Jack Carr because a Navy SEAL can talk about him. Not, you know, I love Jack. I love Jack. Jack's the best. But that's, Jack and I have talked about this openly. There's that thing with it. You can't go and get a tip of the spear guy and expect them to understand how, now Jack's very well educated and he speaks well on it. That's why I'm picking on him because I love him. And he, he gets it. So he articulates that and makes sure that people understand who and what affects the gun industry. But the gun industry gets a lot wrong. Mm -hmm. A lot. Now, why do you think that is? Why do you think why do you think that they're not putting people to the forefront that are actually educated and understand? A lot of it has to do with the way media is shaped. Okay. So so if I'm Buck Sexton or Dana Loesch or any of these people, a lot of times they want to have their friend on that wrote a book or they want to have someone on that maybe uh, uh, they identify as an enthusiast or someone that but it's really backwards in so many ways because just being an enthusiast doesn't grant you like I'm an enthusiast about hoops. Love hoops. I could talk hoops all day. I could talk football all day. I love sports, but I'm not out here drawing up plays for the Patriots. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I think that there's that disconnect in where they get it from, because I would really like to see people speak on who's affected by some of these laws, whose paycheck is affected by some of these things. And I think it's just one of those industries that the media controls the narrative and controls the talking points and who they choose to put on are people that are not for, think about it. Any national spokesperson you see talking about the gun industry, name me one that cashes a check from the gun industry. Yeah. You can't. No. I mean, you could rack your brain. I, I put the challenge out there to someone the other day. I said, go find me a, a picture or a video of Dana Lowe shooting a gun. Find me one. I'll give you a hundred bucks right now. If you find me one, I'll give it to you. Ain't you can't, happening. it ain't happening. And you see a common thing in the hunting industry as well. Mm -hmm. You know, you've talked openly uh, uh, about it with me. I mean, there's a lot of guys that'll set the tent up and the tent will still have the tags on it. Catch my drift. Yeah. There's a lot of that. And I think a lot of it has to do with who they want to articulate the talking points because it's their friend and they have a book for sale. And that's really what, what it is. Yep. And I wonder and, you know, you brought it up with the hunting industry and obviously the both industries overlap, what it sounds yeah. like in this. And something that's been driving me nuts a lot lately in the last few years with the hunting industry is, is I'm looking and I'm sure you can say the same for people in the shooting sports. You have people that are coming out, two-year-old, three-year-old enthusiasts. Yep. They're new. They're, they're still infants all of a sudden these people are now granted and gifted a platform mm. to be able to push a narrative that is, you know, off base and out of touch a little bit with, with what the heartbeat of it actually is within the mindset of an actual hunter or someone in the shooting sports. 
a lot of that comes down to limitation too, Mm -hmm. you know, limited quantity. Like we have what we have to work with in both industries. Right. So I blame the brands. I'm very harsh on the brands. I'm like, make sure who you support is very important and who you get behind is very important. And well educated. They've got more than, you know, two or three, five years under their belt. You know, they, they've done more than gone out and, and killed one, two, five, five animals, something like that, you know, or, I, I could firearms. have several sponsors represent the podcast that have nothing to do with the gun industry. I choose to support the gun industry mm-hmm. that, you know, when I run the show, the John Bartolo show, I do my best to make sure that, uh, I'm representing what I stand for. And I think, um, that there's a lot of, I guess you'd say bad actors out there. There's, there's folks that I like that. Bad yeah. I, I think there's some bad actors out there that I think get into the industry and then they start gaming it. And, and I think you know what I mean. And I think we see that in the hunting community. You see it in the fishing community. You see it in a lot of these communities. And I get it. I understand staging and I understand all that stuff. And we have to do that from time to time. But I think we have to start to ask ourselves, are we legitimately pulling from the best and the brightest that come from our industry or are we not? And I think that's the question. I think the media needs to start to ask that question when they, when they say, we're going to have someone on for gun rights. Have you ever seen a CEO speak out uh, you know, about the firearms? You've never seen it. And I challenge a lot of them. I challenge a lot of them on my show to step up and be the leaders. Stop hiding under your desk. Be the leaders. And there are some great have ones out voice. there. Have a voice. Have a voice. Now, do you think people are choosing not to have a voice because of their position or role they play? With some the is companies? fear. Some of them just aren't spokespeople, but some of it is the evolution of marketing as well. I mean, I think I think when marketing started out in the gun industry, it was kind of like, let me just hire my nephew, like I said, you know, have little Toby run the social media and do all the things. But I think at the same time, they're starting to understand that you need legitimate PR people and you need people to be able to to speak about the company, especially as you stem into some of the things we talked about earlier, which is experiential marketing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to have somebody out in front. I mean, what Scott Fulquartson did by building uh, an experience center, think about that. Now, SIG is building one. I don't know if that's public, but I announced it here. SIG is building an experience <laughs> center. Sorry, SIG. Yeah, and, and, and other brands are looking at it very seriously about where to put their money because I think they're realizing, and I think, uh, uh, you know, Recoil Magazine's realized this. A lot of, of, of the, the traditional outlets that we had for years are realizing this, that you can't have a, uh, a closed model. It has to be an open model. You have by that you have to be omni-channel. You have to be able to reach people, and how do you reach them? Podcasting, social media, all these different avenues and all these different platforms. But we also have to be very careful who we anoint because there's a lot of false gods. Yeah, and I I, that's that's funny too because I always talk a lot about it. You know, as if it's propping up false idols. It's very real. It is very real. It's very real, and it's. It's nerve wracking on one on one aspect, and it's it's very like I don't want to say disheartening, but it's it's very hard to watch. It'll continue to happen. It's always it's not going to stop, and part of it has to do with control. They want uh, puppeteers that they can control. I I think I think a lot of people get a misconception about where the truth comes from. Okay, they want to believe the polished person in the tie that's on TV that's talking to them from a teleprompter. They want to believe that. 
They will look so much more professional. Yeah, like this is real. And I think I've developed the cult following with this show and with the things that I'm doing because I think a lot of industry insiders, I share my show quite a bit on LinkedIn. I share my show on some of the platforms that I can get to some of the executives and some of the key people I want to talk to because I want the industry to start to have these coffee table type conversations. I want them to openly discuss issues because I think that's where real growth happens. Mm -hmm. And I think it happens born out of some of these things. And I think when we close those things off or we, you know, historically the bad actors that have the control, they want to say that doesn't exist. They just want to turn a blind. It doesn't, it's not real. Like Bitcoin, it's not real. Yeah. It's not real. It'll go away. But it is real. It and, is real. And, and that's, it's worth a lot of fucking money. And it's worth a lot of fucking money. <laughs> and I think they want to do that as long as they can. Like, take a look around our industry. Outdoors, SCI, NSSF, NRA, any of these industries. They can be making millions of dollars, okay? If they just would uh, embrace some of the different marketing you know, uh, entities. I mean, they don't even stream a lot of the speeches that people do for these entities And that in and of itself on YouTube can make the money. Mm -hmm. I mean, they don't even participate in any of that stuff. They could be running a super chat on their YouTube and be making tens to $20,000 by just streaming. I mean, you and I both know that, but there's that refusal of like, we're not going to do that or we can't support, we can't support that. We'd rather give away a pouch or or a bag. And that's part of the thing. It's that closed off mindset. Yeah, it's it's terrifying. Well, it's it's Scary. just so it's so weird to watch, you know, and and for me trying to figure out how some of these people are getting into the positions that they're getting into and being able to make decisions that they're making and influencing the large numbers. meritocracy. It's meritocratic, you know, they're they're so so people People get a lot of their positions. If you look at the NRA, you look at the NSSF, a lot of those positions are granted or bestowed on people. A lot of them are cousins or, you know, it's nephews, you know, of someone. Uh, hey, my, my, my guys, my buddy's a lobbyist. He needs a job or my friend is this. I know that. And anybody who wants to bullshit me and tell me otherwise, you're lying. <laughs> and the problem is that type of meritocracy setup it works in certain ways, but you're not always getting the best and brightest that you could get into the industry. And a lot of them get granted those positions because they want to put their guy in. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They want their guy. And that's part part of the problem. When you constantly are putting your guy in, it might not be the best guy to move that forward. And there's a huge gap, Andy. And I think people don't realize this. There's a You're young enough and I'm young enough that we can still adapt to what, you know, the 30 somethings and the 20 somethings are doing, right? Like we can look at Twitch and we can look at YouTube and we can look at these platforms objectively, TikTok, and we can kind of see the value in it. You ever talk to a 60 year old? Ain't happening. Ain't happening. They don't even They get cannot it. get their head around it. Yeah. And when you talk to them, and I've been in these rooms, guys, to everybody listening, I've been in these rooms with these leaders. You start mentioning things like that type of marketing or experiential marketing, they're they lost it. Like, they're like, what? So for a, a company that I worked with for 10 years while I was building everything that I do now on the side mm. as my hobby, um, a company I worked for for 10 years, I would go to the marketing meetings and I would, you know, and I was pretty much in charge of all their brand name products sure. and everything like that, product development. 
And I would bring to them experiential marketing and I would bring to them ideas and things that we could do to help grow the brand and, and get it further in, the, in, a, in a new direction from where it was. And we're talking about a company that was built 100% off print advertisement, magazine yep. sales. Old school rags. Old school, you know, yep. 1960, you know, whatever, summer of love shit. And they hated it. They could never for the life of themselves even have a glimpse of the benefits that they could do if they started creating and developing these relationships and everything like that. So it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that just because that's been my direct experience in approaching, you know, a multimillion dollar company with new marketing strategy mm. ideas and the turmoil and hardship that I faced, which ultimately ended in me losing that job. But best thing ever happened. Best. At, oh, I mean the day that they canned me, you're like, I, I can collect. No. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> well, so I knew that day that they were going to can me. Like there was no doubt in my mind. I'd been there 10 years. Some other things had just gone on. They just didn't want to pay me, you know, what my value was. Probably weren't to begin with. They weren't. And that's completely fine with me. I get it. Everybody needs to have and make their own money. No, no big deal. You know, but. Um, the weird thing about this business is how they circle back too. Yeah. Oh yeah. They always come back to the trough. Oh, yeah. So I knew they were going to can me. I went into the office, and I looked the owner in the eye, and I said, hey, man, what's going on today? Something's weird. I can feel it in my gut. Is there anything you need to talk to me about? It's 10 a.m. And he, he looked at me, like, in shock. And he's like, no, man, I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, everything's good. I was like, all right. Go back to my warehouse, and I'm dealing with my staff. I take off to go take care of some uh, some stuff off of campus. Come back, come back. My warehouse is empty. All my employees have been let home for the day. As soon as I sit down and turn my computer on and try to open my email, which I'm locked out of, my phone rings on my desk. I'm like, all right, here we go. Walk in the front office. And they're like, yeah, so, you know, I kind of, would, you know, didn't tell you the truth this morning. You know, we're, we're letting you go today. And I looked at him in the eye and I was like, thank you. I was like, You've given me 10 years of great employment and you've paid me. I've had such a wonderful time working here. Management within your company and, and learning and understanding my role and, you know, going into a world that I knew nothing about and coming out with as much as I've learned has just been one of the best experiences of my life. They were so confused by my reaction to me being let go. They, were, they didn't really know what to say because mm. I didn't flip out. They were expecting chairs to be thrown and tables to be flipped and, you know, the whole deal. And I was just like, Hey, thank you. I shook their hand. I gave them a hug and I walked on my, walked out the door and on my merry way. But you know, it's, I forgot where I was going. It's a barrier. Yeah. No, it's a barrier getting but through it was, to these people. It was the greatest day of my life. Yeah, no, no. It, and, it, and no, no, it's a good, it's, that's a, that's a great share. And I know it's deeply personal to share that stuff, but it's, it's a barrier trying to explain to these people. And I know where you're going with it because you can beat your head against the wall, but you reach a point where you're okay with it. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's something I've been through many times with a lot of brands. A lot of the brands that sponsor the, the show now are brands I've been with for a very long time, you know, one way or the other. And over time, they've started to understand some of the things. I'm sure Scott, when he first listened to me, would tell you, you're crazy, you know, this guy's <laughs> crazy. But it's, but I, 
I always looked for what would build new markets and what would generate new relationships because I think that's the lifeblood of a good marketing program. What good is a marketing program if you constantly want to speak to the same audience all the time? I think you're trying to constantly expand and spread your wings and, and, and brands don't understand the mediums to which people can be connected you know, through that experience and how to use those media platforms to generate an experience. Like there's so many people in our industries that just ignore TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and their argument is always, oh, we can't use those platforms because we get shut down on them. Well, well you, do you have to sell the gun on those, those platforms? Do you have to sell the hunt on those platforms? No. What do you mean? Oh, well, can you sell something else? Can you sell the brand? That's it. And right that's there. what you have to start to understand. And I think Selling that's a brand, mm -hmm. you know, and people don't understand what that looks like. That's the hard thing. Well, they think if they're not selling the product, they're not selling yeah. the brand. I've like had owners can... tell me, oh, you're talking about branding. And I'm like, <sighs> like, I have to take a deep breath. I'm like, I'm like, is Nike a brand? Is Coca-Cola a brand? Mm -hmm. If I start to peel into all the things Coca-Cola owns, you would say it's a brand. Okay. All these colleges, all these different things, they're all brands. And, and people have to understand you yourself are a brand today. Yeah. You know, and what that looks like. And it's different for everybody. You know, everybody has a different approach. We got a special guest. We got a special guest coming in. So don't slowly ruin it. Making his way to the chair. Slowly making his way to the chair. Uh, Bo Sandoval making a cameo. Yeah. A cameo. We're on audio, not video, so you're fine. No one sees you. What up, buddy? Falling all over. <laughs> oh, we got hellos going on. Good to see you. Oh. Pile of cash is looking thicker. Every yeah, day. It's, we're just we're padding the envelopes. Oh. So <laughs> let's reel it back in, Bo. <laughs> so get your mind off the money. So while Bo's here, let's get into this. I told the story. I, I think I was on my show. I'll tell the story now. So originally. And this will bring Bo into it. Originally, when this all started, we weren't going to do the flip-flop, okay? Andy was coming out. He yeah. was doing my podcast. Now I'm doing his. And uh, he said, hey, man, I'd love to do a flip-flop. And I'm like, this motherfucker, you know? Like, what are we, how are we going to do this? You know, I'm like, because I, you know, I'm doing so many shows in here. My brain's mashed potatoes. But I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. So I called Bo, and Bo's like, you're not going to do the flip-flop? <laughs> like, what do you mean? So I, I, I instantly pivoted and threw it on him. So tonight we're doing a flip-flop. Yeah. Tonight we're doing a flip-flop. And it's your, welcome. it's your exiting party. Dude, it's an exiting party. I mean, I wasn't going to label it that, but. I mean, I'll that's what it. it is, I'll man. I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Oh, man. It's, uh, it's more than a meal, dude. It is an event. Yeah. So <clears throat> John will be thoroughly. I'll be knees wild. deep in meat. <laughs> like hopefully we got a, it's a 15 pound whitetail leg it's 14 15 it's, i said it's, it's not an axis though bo's bo's mad no yeah. oh, i dude it doesn't matter what he puts on that grill bo's mad i appreciate the, that that's a compliment rosemary bo wanted bo wanted pure elk <laughs> we need a lot you were there for summer strong when we oh, did yeah. that elk right yeah. yes that was a hundred and 102 or 104 pounds bo went elk. from two just guys, doing it to greedy two guys yeah. to flip it yeah yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, me and Casey with Tactic Calories. That was yeah. That was a wild ass night. The two steaks. Yeah. Tactic Calories. I I that that that's a company. 
That's yeah. a company. That's a brand. Oh, okay. right there. And Shout he, out to yeah. Casey Baird. Yeah. Yeah. He makes a really... He, he sent me some product in the past. Did he? Yeah. Yeah. It's great stuff, man. Yeah. No, it's... it's you ha- Did you have to use his marinade? Did it fuck up your mojo? Or? No, no. I didn't use his marinade. I, I, I think we used a little bit of it. I think it was the Carver's Prime on mm. some of it. Um, he didn't make the grade. <laughs> no, no, no. no, no it's, it's not that. It's just... You have your way. I, I've got my way, you know, and, and I don't, I haven't figured out if that's a bad thing. The yet. Yoda of meat. I don't know about that. That's, maybe that was my grandfather, but you know, I, I just, I've got my way and I'm trying to figure out like, and I've, I've used, uh, his Carver's prime a, a number of times. It's pretty good. Um, but I feel like sometimes it, uh, taints the flavor from the sauce a little too far. Like it's, it's. There's all of a sudden too much robust flavor involved. It's the science. It's the, yeah, science. It's the science. <laughs> Who'd you go to lunch with, Bo? Uh, Natan Levy. Oh, nice. Yep. How was that? Good, good. The good first time I saw him shoot, he looked like he had Parkinson's. Oh, man. He's uh, <laughs> nervous. Yeah. Nervous, yeah. but definitely Interesting. excited. So one of his first um, coaches or whoever back home was uh, – was in the military in yeah. Israel, so he had been around it, seen, but never actually had triggered a lot of trigger time. Yep, he doesn't have a lot of so rounds. He was excited. Range. He was excited to get out there, but um, yeah, he's doing good. Yeah, yeah, he uh, he doesn't have a lot of rounds downrange. That was a fun day with some of those guys. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. That was the uh, you guys did a uh, UFC. That's right. Range day. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that had to be out. a wild ass time. It was man. fun, man. They, For some, we kind of didn't know what we were getting into, right, Bo? Yeah. It's a good, yeah. really worked just, out well. It was like a spitball and like, hey, you think, you know, a bunch of fighters would be interested in coming out with some of our sponsors? And I'm like, they would love that. Yeah. And in our heads, we were still like, ah, maybe like 15 or 20 will come out. And then like when we put together the goodie bags and everything, I was like, I think this many will come. And it was like, we ran out of shit, like <laughs> 20,000 rounds. What wasn't enough. Yeah. Tw- we went through about 20,000 rounds. Well, then even after the fact, um, cause you know, you had like Every, Cowboy Cerrone and everybody came out of the woodwork that were posting stuff online. Yeah. So then everybody's reaching out like, Hey, why dude, am I not there? Where's the advertisement <laughs> for the range day? We're doing so, it again. Yep. We're doing it Let again. Let me know. I'll come out and cook for it. Yeah, we're doing it again. Oh, yeah. dude, that would. If we had you and, and All American Dave, I think it'd be a home run. We'd do both. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, why not? We got who, a buddy here who um, has a food truck. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. yeah. He, he catered sponsor. it last time, but I, I actually was thinking that as you were saying, and I was like, having both wouldn't be a bad thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's we could even collaborate and do some stuff together and, and no create some stuff. Oh, he'd be like 100% down for that. Dave, yeah. yeah. Dave would love, Dave would definitely love the flip flop. Yeah. That yeah. would be epic. Hey, listen, he's talk to Bo. He's the sure. organizer. Is, is he still though? <laughs> is he still? Yeah, he's still gonna have a role. We'll find. We'll make yeah, him. Yeah, we'll we'll put him on the. Back, I'll come back. For it. Yeah, we'll put him on the board. Yeah. It's so much fun. Yeah, and you're gonna look, have the guys to come bring it out to like shoot and stuff. I mean, it's kind of like going out to winter strong. It's just a bunch of talking to the mic experts, motherfucker. Bunch of uh, there's a bunch of people that just have a ton of range time, man. So you yeah. pick up tricks you pick up all kinds of stuff well you're getting you know what we try to create was a fun light atmosphere like that was the key thing keep it light keep it fun break the ice a little bit of competition but not you know they actually wanted more competition after which i understand but the problem is you got to ramp up their skill level a little bit like we hope this taste will get some people out doing some trigger time and they get a little bit better because it's hard to just throw you know you have to kind of you gotta work them in a little bit oh yeah well it sounds like if 
Someone had Parkinson's when they started. Well, now, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm just kidding. No, some of the guys, you know, you're dealing with a lot of different people and, and skill levels, so you're trying to balance that out. But we had Tony, Real World Tactical, out there. We had uh, some folks that were really able to to move the needle a little bit in terms of get ramping people up so we could start to let them kind of walk around and do whatever they wanted. Yeah, and I think some comfortability. Yeah, the next time we'll, we'll sprinkle in a long-range component. You know, we were a little nervous about, one, how many would come, and I think uh, what the experience would look like and how much they'd enjoy it. So we tried to keep it as light as possible, like not a class. And it was pretty condensed. It was well. We spent four hours out there. Three yeah, hours. we were very aware of the fighters' schedules and how busy they really are, and 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 making it so they could get in, they could have a little lunch, they could leave if they wanted. If someone wanted to hang out for an hour or two after, we did try to cram too much into the day. If I'm being honest, because we tried to go to the fights, and there was this, and yeah. there was that. So we're trying to move some of that around. But I think, um, I think we have it pretty dialed in now. What we're gonna do and what Should will work. March. But the, March, right? March. Yeah. March. Uh-oh. Yeah. For yeah. your month up. I'm doing something in March, the end of it. Oh, you're out. I can't remember <laughs> what it was. You're out. Uh, Western <laughs> Hunt something. No, the Western Hunt Expo is February. Oh, that's February. Yeah, it's not yeah. SCI or Western Hunt for sure or no, GAO. No, we're pretty much like done that. with all the conventions. Uh, you don't go to GAO, do you? That's a fucking nightmare. Is that in uh, Pennsylvania? No. What is that's, no, that's the, like a that? 15 or 10 day. Bro. That's gnarly. 15 I've told Bo, I'm like, if you ever want to know you're in trouble in the gun business, they send you to GAO. Yeah, what's, what's but that GAO one's like super for? long, though, isn't it? Ten fucking Ten days. days. Yeah. Yeah. What's it stand for? Great American Outdoor Show. Oh. Yeah. It's, it's the longest show, and you're in like Hershey, Pennsylvania, or wherever you are. It's the middle of nowhere, People and it's, stay that long. it's freezing. I think I think it's like a rotating door. Like when I used three to days, do it, three days, three days, and when I used to do it, they used to send me there. And I told you, I used to be like in charge of ten booths because everybody was like, "We're out of here," because <laughs> it's it's like Super Bowl weekend. It's it's a very low man on the totem pole gig. Yeah. So if you ever want to wonder if you're low man, if you're going to GAO, you're the lowest. You're in you're in some mm -hmm. some muddy water. You can buy pickles, an unbelievable jerky stand and then there's backpacks for five dollars from the the chinese knockoff table oh shit that's that's pretty much gao nice. and it's a big uh they have dogs there they have like like the guest speaker will be like stone cold steve austin yeah but stone cold yeah. i would love to cook <laughs> for stone cold steve austin <laughs> i know I how know. much fun would that be to cook with but that's like the keynote you know yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, yeah, the yeah. keynote yeah. but that's the kind of show that it is it's a great show. Don't get me wrong. It's just, if you've done it, you've done it. That's that, a long time. It's a long haul. Once is enough. Imagine going to a fitness show 10 days long. Mm. By the fifth day, you jump. I can't imagine going anywhere. I couldn't yeah, eat that many pros. for 10 days. Yeah, a hunt. Yeah, I'll do that for, <laughs> do that for 15. Yeah. yeah, maybe if I had a if, if I had a jumpy house, I'd do that for 10 days. That's about it. I'd, I'd be tired after the second day, to be <sighs> honest. What all did you guys get into today? Oh, we did my show, and now we're doing Andy's, and uh, we had some a little bit of lunch just to, you know, calm the calm the flames in the stomach down a little oh, bit before yeah, yeah, tonight. Yeah. I didn't even eat breakfast. Yeah, no. you didn't. We we met at the I Trump. Yeah, we had coffee, yeah, and I had I don't know about that. <laughs> I had avocado toast. Yeah, it's my favorite. Yeah, my favorite thing there. That and the hamburger. It looked good. It's fucking great. Yeah, toasted avocado toast. Yeah, I'm trying to keep my 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 palate light. I know tonight, tonight I have to go back and get some of those cookies from the Venetian. Yes. Oh. Yeah. I'm sure you've had that. At the at the Grand What's Lux the Cafe. Oh, yeah, okay. Grand you Lux. go there and you get a box of fresh baked cookies. And if they are not grandma's cookies, 
I don't know who's fucking. Have you had Scott Full Quartz's mom's cookies? You know what? I've heard about him. We actually That's had. You're not on that mailing list? I'm oh. not on that mailing list. Hopefully I am this year. Dun, dun. Now you guys really aren't I insiders. I know. I didn't know there was a mailing list. So I, I actually sat. out of the bag. Right? Shut yeah, up, We Scott. should fucking go <laughs> You should send him hate mail. In February. He's in like Nashville right now partying or something. Yeah, he's having a good time out yeah. there. He's in Nashville. He's like, I'll call you when I get a minute. Yeah. I doubt he will. No, no. never. Maybe never. when he gets back He's to some Carol, concert Iowa. or something, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you have to leave to go have a good time when you live in those areas, right? Yeah. You got to kind of leave. Yeah, but I, I was talking to his mom, and I, and I was telling Scott, too. I was like, oh, God, do I want to? Yeah, I'll talk about it. I was telling him, I was like, man, you guys have YouTube. Why the fuck are you not utilizing your mom, who is a face of the brand, 100%. forever? Yeah. Doing a baking show. Throw a baking episode out. Everybody loves those cookies. She made like 200 or some odd dozen. You know what I mean? Like an insane amount of cookies. Everybody loves those cookies. Like For a long time, she was the one answering the phones, right? Answering yeah. the phones, like being the face the at SHOT Show, yeah. like the whole deal. You know what's funny is their controller, uh, I'll say this, their controller's name is Terry, right? And I swear every controller in the gun business names Terry. I swear <laughs> to God, like, like it's a generic person. I know like ten controllers that are their names Terry. The yeah, the you have to get on the mailing list for the cookies. He's, she sends out a tin. She gets these full quarts and tins and sends them out stuffed. And at first I'm like, homemade cookies? These aren't poisoned or anything. <laughs> and then I ate, Scott's like, just eat one, chap. So I ate one and I'm like, and he's like, how how's that? The cookies working? I'm like, they're gone. In an hour. They didn't even last. Yeah. Yeah. Not a gallon second. of milk gone. Yeah. You gotta try them. Yeah, they're really good. Them. They're really good. And she bakes up a storm. Yeah. I agree with you. She That's made good branding us, uh, God, what'd she make? I don't remember. She made some She likes to breakfast. bake. She's a baker. Yeah, it was like some cinnamon. Fresh biscuits or something. Monkey bread. Raspberries, I don't know, scones or something. Oh my god, they were absolutely to die for. What else do you get to do up there, you know? Some bacon. It's like an it's like an Amish country. Yeah. Like I, I get calls. It's crazy where some of these places are located. I get calls you like go to hey, the one steakhouse in town for dinner. I know. We can get like macaroni and hot the dogs. Golden Corral. <laughs> uh, golden Corral. <laughs> Every time we used to travel, we used to always try to find like an outback because at least you could understand like it was like a reasonable place to eat. Like, but you go we've traveled to some places in these industries, outdoors and shooting. You know this, Andy. Mm-hmm. Some of these places you go to, I mean, they are nowhere. Yeah. Have you been to like Errol, Maine, like some of those areas? I don't think I want to. Is it, how is <laughs> it? Listen, if it's like it's out there. <laughs> so it's a different version of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's like <laughs> it's a whole a different, like you're like, wow, you're like in the middle of nowhere. But there's some areas that, I mean, I'm talking edge of the universe in this industry. I mean, I know Montana has been bastardized and turned into like the place to go. Everybody's like, I'm going to move to Montana. I'm going to go live here. It's great living there, man. But I'll tell you, it's a whole different world. I tell people all the time, the winters are no day at the beach. You got to be ready for that. Yeah. You got to be ready for that. that. I mean, I've been going up for my whole life. I'm not fine with it. Yeah, but you lived up there. Yeah, but it's like, it's eight feet of snow. It hardened you. Fucking living in New England hardened me, motherfucker. (laughs) Are you out of your mind? (laughs) You know, 36 years in New England. Uh-huh. I won't change. I'll be a salty New Englander till the day I'm dead. Yeah. You know, especially seafood. I, I miss good seafood. Yeah. I talk about that all the time. Fuck, I miss dude. I'm good. sure you're going to be busy down here for New Year's, but if you're not, come up to the come up to the New Year's party. Bo knows my answer, no chance. 
No chance. I don't. I don't like. I. I you know. I. I like my little contained bubble that I'm in. Feel safe. It's a in nice it. bubble. It's a nice bubble. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I had this as a bubble, it'd be a nice fucking bubble. Yeah. You'd hang out in it. Yeah. I got a new couch coming. I'm going to lounge out. Yeah. That's it for the rest of my days. For as long as I go. What uh, what are we doing later? What's the plan? Um, yeah, break down our evening for us, hey, boss. I, I just supply the venue. Okay. <laughs> are we planning on rendezvousing at five? Is that the well, go? You guys can come whenever you want. The only thing I got to do is I got to swing by, pick up some rosemary and all um, we need is rosemary sprigs i got the paintbrush i don't need like a whole bush no 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 we don't need yeah you're earlier you're like i need a bush i'm yeah, like what like, I'm well because he's been there he knows he knows the bush Bro, <laughs> i was going to buy a tree <laughs> <laughs> Dude, when we were at soar next winter strong like we were literally like i like, saw that when i was researching like the show i saw that bushes. i was like holy like, shit like you took like a a switch out and you were like beating the meat yeah exactly well so amanda my wife good at beating me uh, Andy wants you to pick up rosemary. I go, yeah. She's like, you better find somewhere it's got a fucking go to Home Depot <laughs> like, with some yeah. fucking clippers. Either you or I are gonna we'll take him back to the hotel because he's got to get the meat and, and stuff. Oh, but right. I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna go to the grocery store and and pick up a few things. You know, whatever you think you need. But I'm gonna pick up some sides and some drinks and stuff okay. just so we have extra. But yeah, be good to go. Amanda sent me a list. So oh, you want to give me some? It, well, if there's anything on there that you can, some of it's like kids stuff, which I'll go get. But <laughs> like, we got kids. So, yeah. <laughs> no, it's for the rest of the week because yeah. we were out of town over the weekend. We got mild stuff. Joshua eat. Tree. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. Beautiful place. Yeah. Yeah. You sent me like ten pictures. You were like, it was like your legs. You were like, I'm just here. So here's pale. my calf. Not, I don't take Have you ever seen his calf? Do He's like, he sent me a this picture. Fucking calf. No, I get a picture. Of, I get a picture of like his toe, and then it's like, <laughs> it's like this beautiful scenery. And I'm like, could you just cut your feet out? I get it. It's nice. He's I'm like, I want you to know. I want you to know I'm <laughs> here. Get nosy into what I'm doing. I'm like, this is it. I I have a rule. Like when people go away, I let them be. Like I don't bother you a lot when you're away. But I'll get like a picture. I'm just having coffee out on the Serengeti alone. I'm going for a run yeah. in the rain. I'm going for a run. <laughs> just running in the rain with my camera guy. Yeah. Bo actually has a love affair with with a lot of uh, false gods. To be quite honest, he has a love affair. That's, no. that's bad labeling. That's bad, that's bad labeling. I have a mutual respect for everyone who has a passion. Yeah, I'm not going to name names. Don't yeah. worry. No. Don't get nervous. I won't, won't be controversial on someone else's show. Yeah. No, He's no, nervous. We're good. We're good. Everybody gets nervous when I start ramping it up. Oh my god, we're good. We're mm. good. You feel protected because this isn't your platform. The fucks John? I give on mine. If it was mine, John wants me to be a hater. So. Yeah. No, I, who said I hate? I who said hate? I'm stating facts. <laughs> hey, so speaking of hate, we were talking about this a little bit earlier. I'm gonna full circle us back out of here, and then and then we'll close out. We can finish sure. what we got to do for the rest of the day and everything. So we were talking about social media advertisement, sure, print advertisement. We we're talking about false gods, false sure. idols. So do you think that there will be a transition back into print advertisement in the ability to control the narrative of the person who's reporting the story to get away from false idols? That's a really good question. I think print can prove its value and print can redeem itself. I think there's a lot of good rags out there. I think the work that John Radswill at Hook and Barrel is doing is good work. I think there are good actors out there that know the pieces and know the buttons to push. They just don't want to buck 
the conventional norms to do it yet. And I think it's coming because I think at some point, just like the fitness community, Bo, you have guys that are winning Mr. Olympia that don't have nutrition deals or don't have... I think at some point you have to acknowledge what I call the street, which is the guys that are actually doing laying the groundwork, laying the pipe, so to speak, to to build themselves up organically and get to a certain point. But I think you're always going to have the magazines torn because they have to make money to fuel their advertisements. So are they going to continue to acquiesce and just cater to the free pouch crowd or are they going to actually develop good people that I think can add a lot of value to the to the platform? I'm not sure. I don't I don't have an answer to that. I wish that they would, but I'm not sure. I feel like I feel like if there if there is a segue out of the false idols mm. and the social media propping up of It's gonna come down to the brands taking a social responsibility. It is. That's 100%. what it's gonna come down to. One hundred percent. You know, who you support, you know, we talked about this offline. I'm not going to name names, so I don't want anyone to be nervous here. But but there's a lot of guys that fall into the the, these love affairs with with friends. And that's that's all well and good. Mm -hmm. But I think I do see some of the trappings of media where media doesn't fully understand. And we talked about this before, even in the gun industry, you you constantly see, you know, this this push to the top of people that aren't paid by the industry. They don't have anything to do with it. Like if I want to learn about strength and conditioning, I want to learn it from Bo Sandoval, someone who's in the pits every day training 150 people. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that that's the case in the gun industry, as I said before. And I think that if there's a way out of it in the magazines and the brands take a certain responsibility to to support those people that are actually on the ground doing good work. You know, when I look at my show, we did, I think, Bo, we talked about this, this is like 61 episodes in 64 days during COVID. And I've interviewed so many great people that you had a huge part in. But the industry, does, you've seen it. You've One of my best friends here. The industry doesn't acknowledge a thing I do at all. With the exception of great sponsors and great brands. But you see that a lot in a lot of industries. I mean, uh, who's the current Mr. Olympia? Can't even fucking tell me. I look That's at both. Yeah, you can't <laughs> even tell me. Tell you yeah, you can't even tell me. So I, I think what people have to look at is we have a lot of problems in the shooting sports mm-hmm. in terms of how it's publicized and how it's pushed forward. Those guys should be rock stars. Guys like Max Michelle should be stars. Okay. But the industry doesn't know how to support them properly and they don't know how to push them to the forefront. And they're well-spoken. They're smart dudes. Yep. Both sat with them with me. We've spent time with these guys. And the industry has a way of saying, no, uh, this person has a book for sale. We're going to promote them. We're going to push them. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of what goes on. Their narrative. Their narrative always wins, you know? And I think that's unfortunate because I think there's a lot of good people in the industry. And I do think the magazines and I think that the the publications and, and even online publications could have a better responsibility to say, we need to push some of these people to the forefront that are creating good dialogue. Mm -hmm. Now for you in the, fitness you know fighting world have you seen that happen we were talking about this earlier where you're seeing you know two three five-year-olds that are just kind of getting into it still wet behind the ears but they're all of a sudden becoming spearheads of an industry and dictators of what's what's happening what's going on and what's true and what's not when really they're not in a place to be making decisions like that particularly in fighting i mean it's a sport that we've just 
over sometimes over celebrated these quick successes to mm -hmm. the point where it's it's kind of catastrophic to their own careers as well mm. where they have a quick rise so what we do we just keep feeding them oh let's see if they can you know let's skip them eight spots see if they can knock off this top 15 guy skip them another six spots let's see if we can knock off a top 10 you know top yeah. five guy and so they get this meteoric rise because this sport loves undefeated champions yeah. even though we've only had a couple of them yeah. in the history but it's like as soon as someone loses once they write them off and that person even though that person may have a ton of experience a ton of things to bring to the to the uh the sport the sport um but they like fast rising stars almost as much as they like to watch them crash and mm -hmm. then they you know they all get on move on to they, the next it, fast you know i take 24 hours to totally annihilate them and roast them and tell about how bad of a martial artist they are i think there's there, yeah there's jerked them off for three months trying to lead them into this right and I'll, paid them a load of money <laughs> i know he won't name names with this there's there's an example that comes to mind but there's two i think there's two paths, and I think you have the people that are boisterous, that are outspoken, that have a have a shtick, right? They come out and and they set the world on fire, and sometimes they blaze a path. and And I think you love to see it when it's like a a George Masvidal or somebody like that that's that's having a resurgence in their career. But they have the time, and they've earned the right to kind of they've earned their they've stripes. earned their stripes. Yeah. I think when you see the rush to the top, and and maybe to an extent, we see this a little bit with like a Whaley Zhang. Like, what do you do with her now? You know what I mean? Yeah. She's she's she really didn't have like this 20, 30 fight career. She was rushed to the top, won the belt. I mean, which is fucking amazing. Now loses to Rose. Do you have a trilogy? Is it dead? Do you do another? I mean, how does that all work out? And what do you do with her? You know what I mean? And that's a little bit of maybe what you're speaking to without, you know, I, I named the name. I didn't want Bodu. But what do you yeah. do with that person? Yeah, I mean. She's going to have to take the very difficult Dustin Poirier type mm -hmm. of route. The long road. You've taken your lumps. Now you got to battle back through the ranks a little bit. And then as champions emerge or or form our older champions are doing different things, you know, you hopefully get another opportunity where you can get in there and, and seize your time. But um, the resiliency is so discredited in the, in the sport. Like I said, we don't have fans celebrating the ones that come back around full circle and do that. There's only been a couple of them to do it, but they love the undefeated champions, the ones that rise right up, haven't been touched, and now they're, you know, um, they're at the top. Just the way that everyone, you know, Rose was an underdog for, I think, both of those fights maybe. Yeah. And um, it's like, now, nah, man, that girl's been through wars back and forth. She's lost some. She's, you know... Um, she's weathered and she had answers for everything. Now, Whaley, you know, you could see where she took some different approaches in the second fight and stretched it out. Um, but ultimately, Rose had answers for all of it. That, that's a seasoned veteran. That is a true mixed martial arts. It helps that she has a good training partner. <clears throat> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, she's got it. She's um, got some without getting into it. I think she has some good training partners. Yeah, I mean, and she'll train with anybody. Yeah, not to mention she's fought. She, she trains with a lot of champions. Let's put it that way. Division. Yeah, not like, to give away her secret sauce. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've always said, especially with Whaley in particular, man, just from a stylistic matchup standpoint, ever seeing a Whaley and a and a uh, Valentina. At 125, like that would be a badass fight. I, I can imagine. Like that's too because they will strike quite a bit. The grappling exchanges they'll be there, but they'll be kind of minimal. But um, 
to watch those two technically bang. I think the rise to the top and the, the failures of industry to support that are never more prominent than in, in the, we see the precursors in the fitness community more than anything. I think more than anything, you see it there because it's very much an industry driven by media and by what particularly the sexual side of media yeah 100 I mean, they're not well even in the hunting industry people man, aren't even anymore sex they're sells. like wow look how vascular that dude is i want to buy that product it's yeah. like wow look how revealing that outfit is I'm buy a case of that <laughs> yeah my like, case of that. <laughs> you can see a lot going on in that gym dude. shark yeah exactly yeah gym yeah yeah, yeah. Brands like that. And, and, and fitness kind of casts a weird spell over every industry because you see so many people with millions and millions of followers, but why are they following, right? Like Bo said. Because they're perverts. Yeah, there's a lot of perversion. I mean, like, and Dude, go walk around the Arnold. How many people walking in the crowd, not wearing badges because they're standing at a booth, the ones walking around, how many of them train? Yeah. Yeah. Most of their, you know, they're comic book fans, which I hate. <laughs> Nothing against comic book fans. I'm a huge comic book fan, but. There's a lot of cosplay. Uh, the dude's not walking in there to buy, you know, a few cases of first form. No, he's there. looking at asses <laughs> in yoga pants. Exactly. And if you look at the biggest. Take a picture with. And yeah, if you look at the biggest stars in, in fitness as an example, a lot of them aren't necessarily the champions of the industry because they give out so many awards and so many people are pro net pro, whatever the fuck that yeah. means. It's one of those industries too, though. You could be bottom 50 and you're still so much better than the average human being walking around so mm. when the average human being looks at your post online it's like wow that's an elite which in some regards they are but they ain't top five it's it's very different yeah um, i think it's okay to be a, a top 50 guy if you're quite okay with the 40 people above you you know i like you know i could shoot a gun amongst my peers you know they're, they're freaking awesome yeah. But if I pick up, Bo's been on a range with me. If I pick up a gun, I could still shoot anything that, is, that, yeah. that goes bang. You know what I mean? And, and figure it out real quick and do it really proficiently. That's just something you develop over time. It's like reps in a gym. And, and I think, uh, you know, I think if you're okay with the 49 people above you and you're the 50th guy in anything, that, that's okay. You can celebrate that. that. You can be a part of the infrastructure. You can be a part of the, the good that comes out of an industry. You can be a good actor in whatever space it is that you're in. But I think it's how you approach it. Now, media loves sensationalism. That's why you see a lot of the sensational guys rise up. They maybe won one competition, and now they're experts on everything. And, yeah. you know, I think a lot of that's born out of the fact, too, that a lot of these bodybuilders when you in fitness guys, especially in those communities, uh, like Dorian Yates, you know, when they're done with their career, they're done. Like, they don't want to hang around. There's not a lot to hang around and get you know they go and they start a yoga school or they do something else and they look like totally different people i mean jay cutler is one of the few that well, stayed true out to that it. they actually need to make money for the rest yeah of their life. for the rest of their life and it's not just a right now return yeah it's not just a right now and yeah and and a lot of those guys made a lot of money in the old days because the deals were big now the deals have shifted to a lot of the influencer community and they've gone into influencer marketing essentially the entire fitness industry has become one big giant amway mm -hmm. that's the model everybody uses I mean, first form uses an Amway model. I mean, there's no two ways about it. Herbalife, Amway, yeah. any of those sales models. And they work fantastic. And they work great for the, for the brands. And first form does a phenomenal job. You know, Andy, I mean, uh, and those guys uh, do a phenomenal job marketing their product that way. And it works for them. Yeah. You know, saves the money. Yeah. It's crazy to watch. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like just going back to your original point about the print is... I feel like it could legitimize some things. It's just harder to bend and manipulate things when it's 
been printed. Mm. I feel like the fact checking can get a little bit. Well, we said, yeah, a little bit more serious when it's behind a magazine. Yeah. We said that before you came in. I think there's something to what the national media and what media responds to in general is the shirt, the tie, the look, the whole, that whole deal in, 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 in they believe it. Right. So it's like, if I'm wearing a tie, uh, I must be speaking the truth. I mean, that's fucking crazy. Look at Cuomo, look at Don Lemon, look at all these, these, these terrible actors at CNN and and that's what they are. You know, you and, know what I mean? Yeah, and Elon Musk will roll in in a sweatshirt and be like, you know, give a I mean, his tweet to Bernie Sanders was fucking hilarious. I didn't hear it. It's the one where, he, where where Bernie Sanders tweeted something, I don't know what, something about like taxing the rich, you know, 100% or something, and Elon's taxing stock or something, and Elon goes, thanks for the tip, Bernie. I'm going to go sell half my stock. He's like, I didn't even know you were alive. <laughs> <laughs> you were still alive, you know, and, and it was a real tweet. Like, he was like, you're still alive, but it that, that comes back to, yeah, that's that comes back to what we oh talked about God. even on my podcast in term limits and things like that. Yeah. I mean, you have some of these people, like I said earlier, not to get political on your show, but, yeah. you know, Nancy Pelosi, I mean, who elects her? She's 90. Fucking somebody who ele- is, Like, uh, on I what planet do you, you know an 80-year-old grandmother that wants to be in fucking Congress? Yeah. And on what planet is that normal? It's not. So. Yeah. We digress. We digress. Right. We'll wrap it up there. We're done. You want to call it quits? Yeah. We'll, yeah. We'll leave it on the, well, on do the your Pelosi wrap up. I'll turn us there, off. There is, the there is no wrap up. That's I mean, it. We could always go down the, the Maxwell trial if you want to get, Oh, just kidding. <laughs> no, I mean, I we, hey, are you sure? <laughs> I'll go there. Uh, I got the shirt on that supports that. Oh yes. I mean, who thinks that she'll kill herself? No, no, no. Listen, listen. Hold you got, on. No, hold you got to put I'm going to give, a, we'll give, we'll do our, we'll, suit. to everybody she listening, we're going to do our five minutes each on the Epstein deal just because you're wearing the shirt. Okay. <laughs> and if you don't know, Andy right now is wearing a shirt that Epstein didn't kill himself. Here's the deal. <laughs> of course, they were going to keep that, that whole trial quiet, right? We all know that. And now, do you think that the reason why we're seeing so much sensationalism in other areas of the news <laughs> is to mute that trial? Like I said earlier on my podcast, I think the reason the left will fail is because they didn't factor in how how crappy Biden would be as a leader. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's that's something no matter how many models they ran at the WHO or like I said, in Bill Gates basement on how this would play out, they they did not factor in the Biden factor. And I think that they don't understand how awful Biden and Kamala are at selling this. Now, I've said this earlier, but I don't think they also realize how rapidly he was going to deteriorate he's already gone but there's there's this whole movement right to push us into a certain box and without let me back off that for a second and just say when the epstein thing went down i don't think there was a person that knew that this guy didn't this guy knew where all the bodies were so to speak and if anybody believes he killed himself you are absolutely out of your mind okay and i don't think they ever factored in that she would surface Okay. I think they thought she would go into hiding. They found her in New Hampshire, live free or die. She was trying to hide. Imagine trying to hide out. This is the fucking crazy thing. I grew up in New England. In New Hampshire, they live for this shit. Like, ask Tom at SIG and ask those guys, like, when somebody goes into Epping or, or, or Newington in, like, the wrong car, they're on you. Like, they think the Libyans are coming, you know? That's the worst state to go hide in. Like, they will find you there. And, and, and they have real cops there. I know some of them. And they will hunt you down. And, the, and they found her. And now they have her. And I, I think that there's going to be so much that's going to come out of the trial that we will hear. But I think there's a lot that we won't. And 
a small part of me understands why they have it as a closed trial. A small part, guys. To everybody listening, that's going to judge me, and 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 I get Was it. Is that because of blackmail listing or what? Well, I think that uh, I think that it would it would really to the lay person they would have a hard time understanding why all those people aren't prosecuted as well. And I think that would be very difficult for a lot of people to digest, and it would cause an absolute insanity, like. Bill Clinton went on that plane like 27 freaking times or something. And I don't know the exact statistic because I don't have my producer here to tell me, but, yeah. but literally Sorry, I don't have a producer. Yeah. An obnoxious <laughs> amount of time. <laughs> and, and how that doesn't get called into question, but he'll face no legal ramifications for that whatsoever. And neither will anybody else who went on that plane. And that's, I think what they're trying to protect from. She's going to get a thousand years because they have to, they have to lock her away somewhere where she can never be found. So that's what I think is going to happen. But I, I, I think she does have all the blackmail, and I think that they like having dirt on all these people. Like, if well, you I think, think for one, need it. like Bill Gates, like if you think for one second he didn't get divorced because of that, you're out of your mind. It's universally known that she didn't want him to have anything to do with him. It's universally known that Bill Gates' estate planner is the same estate planner, I believe, that Epstein had. And they were so intertwined in so many ways that – I mean, look, Bill Gates wants to get a, a, a Nobel Peace Prize. That's why he's doing all this campaigning. You know what I mean? That he's like this, this lifesaver. You know, a guy who dropped out of college and literally developed software, we've now anointed as a medical doctor in the United States. So I don't have to tell you how crazy that is. But Epstein was, oh, Epstein was the guy who knew all, <laughs> yeah, fuck? Epstein was the guy who knew where all the bodies were. And he just, he knew where all the bodies were. And he had the list. And he had the list. And I think he was the ultimate blackmail king. I mean, people have been financing him to smuggle kids into international waters for a hundred years. I mean, the guy was getting massages from little kids, people he would literally kidnap and give a couple hundred bucks to, to come rub him on a, on a, on a massage table in his house in fucking Florida. And he'd get away with it. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't give these guys points for choosing the right states because if you're going to do it, do it in a blue state. <laughs> and maybe you get away with it because they love that type of pee-pee touch and shit. <laughs> you know, that's what they're into. I mean, it's disgusting. And and I don't think she's going to get a pass. I mean, she's going to get a thousand years. She's going to get a thousand years. They have to. What do you to. make of all the CEOs resigning? Like, tell me, if, okay, let's say I'm, I'm mixed in that and then I start resigning. I resign. How does that... Well, they get golden parachutes. They never have to work a day in their life. Yeah, they're protected. They're protected. But what you're asking is: is there correlation between the people stepping down? The last it was it was a I don't know CNN, someone else. There's three that just did it. Walmart CEO, PBF would have. I think they have to. I think they have to protect the brands and protect the companies and protect their legacy. And if they step away, they kind of disappear from the headlines a little bit. You know, I, I, I don't know what will come out. of Somebody will leak something. It's too juicy not to talk about. Oh, so stuff will come out. That's what I think is going to go on. But the Epstein thing, one, if you think he killed himself, you're crazy. Two, if you think she isn't caught up in it and she doesn't know where all the bodies are and she doesn't have lists and she oh, doesn't have blackmail. Book, man. She got the book. She's got the book. Uh, There's no way instead around of it. Two, she was involved in yeah. every single act of all of it. She will get 100 years because that's the way to protect everybody. What do you think? Do you think that more people are going to get exposed or do you think it's going to get swept under the rug? Uh, my skeptical side thinks that a large chunk of the influential pieces will get swept under the rug. 
and they'll try to feed us just enough leeks to satisfy. But but they'll I be juicy. It, yeah. I'm sure they will. There's nothing not juicy about it, right? I just think that for them to relinquish all of it and let it go inside out and transparent, yeah, I, I doubt it. Well, I mean, something that I've seen in, in my experience, I had a good buddy, and he was hired um, to a college, which I won't state and I won't get into details about it. Uh, and he had to investigate where the money was going and and where these professors were spending their grant money and all this all the sure. all the money that was coming in and they had caught one of the professors with a very very high up person in a very prestigious tech company um, and they were doing child sex stuff somewhere I, I can't remember not not here but they were taking private jets and doing the whole deal. Yeah, international waters. That's why I said it. The whole thing got swept under the rug when he uncovered it. He got completely taken off the case, yeah. removed. I, I, he didn't lose his job, but yeah. he was completely removed from all of it. All the information disappeared. Look, there's, and these people got completely off scot-free, and they're using grant money and federal money in their college institution to execute and do these things that they're doing. There's, there's much better people that can speak on it. As I said, in my own podcast, like Jordan Peterson and other folks that have a, a lot of knowledge in, in sociology and psychology and, and can explain this, but what's going on is they're, they're, they're trying to, uh, if you look at everything in media right now, they're trying to normalize, uh, very weird behavior. Okay. And you can see that. Okay. They're trying to normalize pedophilia. They're trying to normalize a lot of things that in schools that we traditionally would never agree with. And they're trying to justify it. The problem again, in, in the calculation is they're not, they're not calculating people's vigor to defend themselves against something like that. Like I know, uh, Bo, even for you and in your family, I mean, some of the things that they're trying to float out there would you, you would go to the school and burn it down. Like, and, and there's it's a lot of that, insane, and man. it's insane. And I think they have to be very careful because in this model, and I and I use this language a lot, and I use it a lot on a show. In this model that they're trying to run on us, and make no mistake, it is a model that they're trying to run on us. Don't well, think like we were talking about earlier is the scenarios. The only create. reason they continue to talk about COVID is because it plays to a greater narrative that fits their model that they're trying to create. You could talk about a hundred other things that are going on in the world and people say, oh, what do you mean? COVID's a national pandemic. COVID has a 99.7 recovery rate, I believe it is, or it's 97.9. It's something along those lines. It's an insane recovery rate. And by and large, a majority of the people that, that have passed away, either had pre-existing conditions or passed away due to some complication that, that occurred. And I think that there's this huge movement in media to normalize very odd behavior under the guise like of COVID pedophilia. and to create and yeah, <laughs> and, and, and to, how and the to create, fuck are we as a nation yeah. okay with this shit? It, it's not that as a nation we're okay with it. It's that the media knows no one's going to push up against them because they'll just quiet you. Yeah, that's a better way to put it. And that's why I tell everybody I who listens corrected. to this show, who listens to my show or listens to any show or listens to anything, support the right people. Share, like, subscribe, push the stuff out there that you see. You don't always have to have a microphone in front of you, but if you support someone's message and someone's uh, platform, do your best to share, like, and subscribe and push that out there and develop an understanding and don't be afraid to ask questions. I mean, that's what America was founded on. Ask questions. Mm -hmm. Don't be okay with it. That's why I always liked your comments about the, the local election stuff. Mm -hmm. People, they over, they overlook all the small stuff on the local yep. scene and then but it, how much it trickles into the bigger positions statewide yep. federally 
it's it's the same kind of deal. It's the same kind of deal. And that's why you have like like Newsom, he's bought in. Like he has he's a card carrying member of like I am with COVID. Yeah. Like that's like his big thing. And I and I think <clears throat> listen, you have to remember people don't realize this one key thing, and you know this, Bo, and you know this, Andy. <laughs> multi multi millionaires live in a bubble. Everybody chases them around, powders their ass. Rich, the richer you are, the more free stuff you get, the more people follow you around and kiss your ass, mm -hmm. right or wrong. And, and regardless of all of that, there's going to continue to be some, some actors and some people in, in positions of power that are just going to be in a bubble. Oh, today we're going to talk about how bad someone is and how bad this is and how bad that is and how poorly this is done and how, and that's why one of the reasons like with the NRA, I mean, just using fear as a constant tactic is never going to be the best approach. In my opinion, people respond better to education and people respond better to being, to being coached and taught in, in a way that they can absorb it. And that's why we sign up for jujitsu classes. That's why we go to gun classes. And if you educate, educate someone and say, Hey, this is what socialism is. Do you like it? And they say, no, it's no longer. No, that's okay. It's no, we're going to arrest you. We're going to take your guns and we're going to cancel you. And that's the world we live in today. It's unfortunate. It is what it is. And if people don't fight back and start talking I'm about it now, I'm excited about the new variant down in Texas though. Fuck it. The freedom variant. If you're listening to this, <laughs> listen, I'll just say this. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Yeah. 100%. A hundred. What do you think? You got any final thoughts? No, man. Good to see you. Good to that's, see that's you, my man. final thought. Yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> right on. We'll end it on that. Thanks for tuning in to the show, folks. If you'd like to check us out online, our website is www.theflipflopguide.co. You can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard. We encourage this, and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website, Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the flip flop guy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button.